As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast where an actor, a writer, and a philosopher are stuck in a pandemic and slowly grow to understand each other. Today's topic is the limits of sitcom premises with a soft focus on the Ricky Gervais creation afterlife. I'm Mark Linton-Meyer, displaying no detectable character growth between seasons. I'm Erica Spires, and I'm really feeling about season seven of an okay sitcom right now. And I'm Brian Hurt, and I'm being taped in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, so this was going to be a Ricky Gervais episode, and I wussed out. I didn't want to rewatch stuff. I didn't want to have to think very hard. But we've all watched Afterlife recently, and I was trying to just think of... Actually, I just started thinking of weird sitcom premises, and we'll do the quiz pretty soon. But do you guys have sort of opening thoughts on this topic as a whole, and my so wise choice to pick something that didn't make us prep a lot? I will say that... It is possible that I don't agree with the premise of our podcast insofar as other than maybe a topic being offensive, racist or whatever. I feel like the premise of a sitcom doesn't really affect whether it's good or bad or whether it will be good or bad. I feel like some really good sitcoms have terrible premises and some ones that you would think would be good don't work. Now, there maybe it's harder to do some versus others, but I feel like good writing and good acting could possibly make anything work and maybe the reverse. I'm prepared to be talked out of this idea, possibly by a million counterexamples presented during this podcast, but it just occurred to me as I looked at different sitcoms, there doesn't seem to be a correlation between quality and premise. I would tend to agree, but man, there are some bad ones out there that you just know are going to not work, Right. You hear the premise and you're like, this is not going to work. Although I will give a counterexample of one that right now I'm just thinking of. It's not a sitcom, but it's a kid's show. I remember when I was a child and definitely had less of an idea of what was good and bad, less proof of what was good and bad. And my brother, Michael, and I were watching Saturday morning cartoons and saw a commercial for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Before it had ever come out, it was announcing the first season and we both looked at each other and we're like, what was that? That looks like the worst thing I've ever seen. It's never going to last. And yet here we are and everyone still knows what it is. And yet it was the worst thing that anyone had ever seen. And it, it was, it was, <laughs> but somehow, somehow it worked for some people. I never actually saw a whole episode of it. Do they like hang out in their lair and chat and do sitcom type plots? I mean, it kind of is. It's kind of like a teeny, like a, a preteen teeny sitcom. 
with fighting, like an action adventure comedy show. I can't say I've ever seen it. Mark, where are you on this spectrum of relationship between premise and whether a show can work? The overall reason this was interesting to me is this thing we've talked about before. We've kind of visited the sitcom at two different uh, historical periods by looking at Friends and then looking at The Good Place. I'm just wondering if we are kind of running the initial reason that there were sitcoms, which is, as we've said before, to provide this familiar place that you can return to and nothing really changes. Maybe we can, you know, have like a talk show, (laughs) Ellen having guests on, like that will fulfill that. We can have that sort of comfort maybe from other forms. But now that we've moved wholly to serial TV, I'm not sure that there are the limits anymore. It seems like now, who knows if it's going to last a bunch of seasons, but whether it's comic or dramatic, you know, it can be just a serial story. And that's what we're getting out of some of the recent ones. Maybe you don't even know this Avenue 5, this upload that just happened. I just watched the first episode of Space Force. Who knows if that's going to sink into, uh, well, people that have watched the whole <laughs> season, at least, whether that'll sink into something where, you know, basically the same thing happens every time and you could skip an episode if you want, or whether it's just going to be one long movie, basically. Good Place wasn't a sitcom, was it? Is it? Excuse us? What? <laughs> of course. It, it, to my mind, it's much more of a serial story where you can't really watch them out of order. And this idea that you have set characters and you have a set premise and they get into and out of a situation each week, to my mind, is really that's the sitcom format. And I feel like we're getting so far away from that now. And there's like this narrative arc and just the way that we're supposed to be watching streaming comedies now with the idea we're going to dive into the next one immediately at the end of the previous one. And so the fact that they would be half an hour long anymore, we might be, I don't want to say in a post-sitcom world, because I think there are still ones that are following that formula. I just don't think I'm watching them. Now, where are you getting this idea or this definition that a sitcom has to be something that is based on just episode by episode that we don't have an overarching storyline. It's came out of my brain and then out of my mouth and I don't own it anymore. Now it's everyone's. I guess that's the question that I was coming in here with is I still would call these. I think everybody calls the good place a sitcom unless they're a freak like you, Brian, but clearly it's a different animal than is the thing that you're more narrowly calling a sitcom, you know, multi-camera laugh track, is that what makes a sitcom? I don't think so. I think it's just anything that's a half hour that's in a situation, but maybe that maybe I'm not understanding. Well, the definition very quickly is a television or radio series in which the same set of characters are involved in various amusing situations. So I think there is within that, it's saying the same set of characters and that it is a situational comedy. I think you can maybe interpret that as episode by episode. But as long as you have similar types of situations and pretty much the same cast, I don't see how why that wouldn't be considered a sitcom. But this is basically, we're getting into the, is it a sandwich or not a sandwich debate? All right. So should we just go straight to whether a Pop-Tart is or is not a ravioli? Because that's where the... It's a dessert ravioli. <laughs> that's where it always ends. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm being too limited. I, I feel like in my mind, the setting always feels like a bit of a character to me. And I feel like there's a a sameness to where Friends is taking place in a way that doesn't happen in The Good Place. 
Did you say the setting is a character? Or has character traits? I'm not disagreeing. It just made me think of that movie, They Came Together, where New York City is kind of a character unto itself. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. I didn't mean to reference it, though. I could have done a lot worse. <laughs> and Sex in the City is a little less jokey about referring to New York as one of his characters, right? But maybe it's just that you can push at the boundaries of this and still be called a sitcom. Honestly, it doesn't matter whether something is or isn't by a strict definition. But at a certain point, you can still be half an hour and you can still have the same characters. But if you're not making anyone laugh anymore, are you still a sitcom? I mean, at what point are you really no longer a situation comedy. You can change some things about what's fundamental to them, but looking at these Ricky Gervais as an example, when it's just really dark humor that maybe you laugh once or twice at something, but for the most part, you're just in pain or even curb your enthusiasm where I tend to just cringe, but I don't know if I always laugh. Does someone need to be laughing for it to be a comedy? I don't know. I always find it unrealistic when a TV show will show like family members watching TV together and they're just laughing constantly. They're just having such a good time. Like as if that's, you know, the family, like, no, you, even if it's comedy, you're sitting in silence most of the time. Maybe I need to film my family as they watch friends or whatever and see. You know, with afterlife though, I always get at least one or two really good chuckles out of every episode. And I definitely don't think the second season for me, is quite as effective as the first. And it looks like they might have a third season, which I thought was kind of odd. Like, how are they going to keep getting this old footage, like the old like wedding footage and stuff? <laughs> like, did they just do a lot of it at the beginning? Or are they having to bring these cast members back to retape those types of situations? Oh, I'm sure as far as making the show that that's the case, whether it you know stretches believability in the story that this, this man is still... Presumably, he's watched this footage of his dead wife over and over and over again. But we're only now seeing in season three a particular clip that is relevant to the situation that he's in that week. I confess I have not seen season two all the way through yet. I was too busy watching extras. Talking about a show that I'll get a couple good laughs out. But most of the time, I just want to sink into my chair as I'm watching it. (laughs) There are definitely episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm that feel that way to me, too. Some of them I laugh a lot, and other ones I just feel so uncomfortable. But, you know, I still enjoy it, and I think some people can't even sit through that kind of a show. I don't think it doesn't make it a sitcom, though. Maybe it's the intention of what somebody wants to put out there as a sitcom or not, rather than our perception of it. Let's think about So, Afterlife, the initial season, the initial pitch as a sitcom, the way that he describes it, Ricky Gervais describes it in interviews is somebody that because he's lost everything, he's lost his spouse, he has a superpower or that he's going to try to act out that he just no longer, the alternative is suicide. So I can just be as much of a bastard as I want. And that is liberating. And so that he can go and tell off a small child or whatever the thing is, you know, tell. he threatens the life, I believe of a small child <laughs> who's bullying another small child. Yes. And the conflict as it goes through that season is, well, it seems like this is a superpower, but he's actually a decent person underneath. And so he's not able to really be this kind of monster and see how that resolves itself. And it kind of does that in one season. I thought it was just perfect. The second season, I'm not going to you know, say that this guy that I consider a genius shouldn't do this, but it certainly doesn't have the purpose. (laughs) 
that it did with the first season. Like, it's just more sad. You thought that he'd reached a place of getting better and hooked up with this woman. No, no, he actually didn't form a relationship. He's not ready for that yet. And so it just seemed much more wallowing and the laughs were fewer and farther between. They definitely are. And I feel like it might also be morphing into something a little bit different this season. I wanted to go back to what you said, Erica, because it really, I was intrigued by this idea of intentionality of what's being created, because I often don't care that much what someone is trying to do, because it's what they ultimately put in front of us that we judge it by. But there's something about how comedy is presented that I do tend to care a little bit more sometimes. And again, I think I'm ending up hitting the gas harder on Ricky Gervais than I meant to. But this idea of of the show Derek, it's sort of important for me to know that I, I think that Ricky Gervais is not making fun of someone who is has some sort of mental capacity that's diminished in some way, or whether it's social or it's intellectual, it's really hard to say. But you have to have a bit of a trust in him of who he is to go along with it long enough to realize it's pretty express in that story. But one of the most decent people is Derek. And he's also, he has, you know, emotional intelligence that I think is quite a bit higher than a lot of other people in that story. I mean, how important is it for you, Erica? This idea of of intention or what the artist is trying to do as they put something in front of you, does it affect how you appreciate it? Do you, does it affect how funny you think something is? I think it does. But I'm a person who likes to ask those questions and I like to know why somebody did it. So I spend half of my time, if not more, watching TV on my IMDb, looking at trivia, looking at how and why they came up with the ideas and why they wanted to put it out there. So yeah, it does make a difference to me because I feel like If I understand what their intention was, then I can appreciate it more. Or I can judge it more harshly if they didn't do what I feel like they were setting out to do. But no, it's not the only measure. Of course not. You know, there are certainly shows that I haven't looked up that way. And I may like them or not. And I may actually not like the person who's putting them together. And if I did know more about them, I wouldn't want to watch it. And you can't make yourself not know something you do know, right? So the fact that Steve Carell and Greg Daniels made Space Force and it did find time to watch the first episode. I don't know if it was a pilot or just the first episode, but I didn't enjoy it that much. No. Um, <laughs> yep. But I watched it to the end and I might not have if it had been made by a hack. And in truth, if it were made by Chuck Lorre, I would have not watched it at all. Right. So I can't unknow that about these things that I'm watching. Right. I think Space Force did a great job getting that cast together. And there are some really sweet, funny moments with certain cast members, but it just didn't strike me as very funny. Now, just really quickly to go back to Afterlife. One of the things that I think it does in the second season that I do like is that they're telling the longer story about depression. So it doesn't end season one with him having a grand realization and he just gets better. Not to say that that's what season one was giving us necessarily, but in season two, we get to see that, yes, it's a much longer road. Yes, there has been some progression, but he's also taken a few steps back maybe here and there. And it also, I think it's funny that his resolve is not to be kind and appreciate everyone. It's to be kind and appreciate people who are trying to do good. And he still treats the assholes like crap which is funny. For our listeners who maybe don't know the premise of Afterlife or Derek or Space Force, fuck you, apparently. We're not giving you the premises of programs anymore. (laughs) I think I just did that with Afterlife. I just laid that out. And in fact, there's something about Ricky Gervais in particular that I like his shows better when I hear him describe the premise. So that with Derek, 
his explanation specifically or why he's playing this sort of mentally challenged individual is that this is to him a superhero. This is someone who is just guileless, who is just totally good, who is good through and through in a way that having an excess of intellectual machinery interferes with, that this is Spider-Man to him. Don't you find that it's difficult to watch Ricky Gervais a bit during COVID-19 and now during the protests and just like all of the turmoil that's happening in the world? Like he he nails with such honesty about how hard the world is. And so it is kind of hard to watch this type of sitcom when you're already going through something that's difficult. Although it feels comforting to know that somebody else is calling out the shit. It can be a pleasure without being a guilty pleasure to know it's not total escapism to be watching Ricky Gervais in a way that if I just put on the office, his off, his, you know, and I actually don't know how easy it is to stream that right now. It wouldn't be the same thing in part because it's, it was done so much earlier. And certainly the American office has a completely different sensibility. So I don't know. Nothing feels good to watch right now in some ways. Truly, I, maybe it wouldn't even matter. What did you think about this Parks and Rec COVID reunion? Did you see that? I did. Yes. Was that a, a, a there was general, a general satisfaction in my house, I should say, about that as being a feel good thing. I thought it was very sweet that they put it together. I had a couple of chuckles. I didn't think it was great. But I think this is another case of where I appreciated the intention over the execution. I think we have to be living in a post-bullying of Jerry world. I think that there are some things you can't go back to, and I just it makes me so sad how mean they are to him. Yeah, yeah, it does. But we're going to have all of them on our podcast. So I did like it well <laughs> enough that they're all invited. And it was just due to the nature of people quarantining together, it was very charming to have Tammy too being at Ron's house. That was good. Worked out well. I thought Chris Pratt was actually very funny and I wasn't quite sure how he was going to come across now that he has such a huge level of fame now and like fandom surrounding him. But I thought he did a very lovely job at still being goofy Andy. I use the being mean to Jerry thing as a way to see if I can get my family interested in like Avenue five. I was thinking maybe this is something we could watch as a group or something. And like, well, you know how they treat Jerry. Well, just imagine a lot of the characters treating each other that way. What's Avenue five, Mark. It's a thing by the creator of veep that is about a bunch of people who this is an HBO show who are uh, trapped on a luxury yacht spaceship that is supposed to get back to Earth very soon, but due to various miscalculations is now going to be circling in orbit for three years for, you know, the estimate changes throughout the show. I was desperate to like that show, and I just kept trying, thinking it was going to hit, and talented people, and what a pedigree, and it's science fiction comedy, and I think I may be realizing that I like science fiction comedy generally less on average than just the average comedy, I, I guess maybe because I'm watching it the wrong way or maybe it's just not as good. But man, I could not get to the end of that show. It's because nerds aren't funny, Brian. <laughs> All right. So Mark and I are going to continue <laughs> and Erica is going to watch Community <laughs> and she's going to make she's going to give us a book report on just how funny nerds are or are not. Thank you. Now, how do you feel about, that's actually a good segue. How do you feel about community as a sitcom? Because it also breaks some, I think, rules that traditional sitcoms have set up. 
right? So community is just about a study group at a community college. That is the premise of the show. And it's by the creator who of uh, later uh, Rick and Morty, Dan Harmon. And it is so self-aware of sitcom tropes all the time. And it knows when it's pushing them and it knows when it decides to do its show in another format. When we get the Ken Burns episode where it North versus South, but it's the pillow forts versus the blanket tents. And then, or we get the, the paintball episode that's done like a science fiction episode. I think it's brilliant. I think it's clearly done lovingly by nerds for nerds and so tremendously enjoyable. I rewatched the whole thing recently. I couldn't believe how good it was early. I couldn't remember the order everything came in, and I would have thought some of its best episodes were in season two or three. It had some of its best ones, even in season one. That show was truly something. I've never actually gotten to the end of it, because I, when Dan Harmon left for a season and it got lame, and I might have watched a little past that, but then half the cast is gone, and I, n- I certainly never got to the last season, which was, what, on Yahoo or something? Maybe that was on Yahoo, but then somehow it ended up back on Netflix for everybody to see. It was a shell of itself, that's for sure. I just think that when you get to the stage of there being popular meta forms parodying the form itself, that should be the signal that we're just about done with this form, that we can't do a traditional sitcom anymore. And that's why I feel like since then, the good entries like The Good Place have been just more serial comedies that you don't even want to call sitcoms. And clearly it's not based on Avenue five, not being awesome and space force, probably not being that good upload is another Greg Daniels one. I probably, I think I'm the only one here who's watched that, but something I was reading about it made a lot of sense that it's pretty much just think of it as black mirror. It's black mirror with some jokes in it. So don't watch it for the humor, watch it for the bleak sci-fi stuff. It's pretty good for that. But like as a laugh a minute thing, the point being that we've moved on to purely serial stories, then yeah, I think maybe Brian, you're right that we're kind of done with sitcoms. You know, there are going to be these holdover and these Chuck Lorre things or whatever. But as far as the intelligentsia, <laughs> well, that's just it, Mark. The we that you're talking about might be you and me and Erica and millions of people who don't have kids or don't have multi generational families who want to sit down at seven Central or eight Eastern and have kind of this wholesome experience. And also not paying that much attention experience because we tend to consume sitcoms, we, the three of us and others, where we're paying attention and whether we like it or not, we're taking notes and connecting things. And sometimes you're just sort of watching with one eyeball open because you're having a conversation or there's chaos in the room, like a lot of CBS dramas, right? And if you miss 20 minutes, you can still figure out what happened. And likewise, you can still get the jokes of a real traditional sitcom, even if you came in halfway through in a way that I think most community episodes would suffer tremendously from missing the first half in a way that I don't want to pick on something from my youth or even early adulthood, but things like, you know, home improvement, which I didn't really care for home improvement. I did tend to enjoy what's the Raymond everyone. Everybody loves Raymond. Loves Raymond. Everybody loves Raymond. I appreciated it. I thought there was some sharp humor sometimes, but it wasn't that important to see the whole thing in order to enjoy the episode. Modern Family, I watched very closely the first few years and thought it was very funny. And it just ended. And I can't imagine having stuck with that through the whole thing. Maybe it was funny, but 
I do think most of them have a shelf life. I even, you know, friends of mine who still watch The Simpsons say, eh, it's not good anymore, but I still watch it because I still want to support The Simpsons. I really wish there were really good sitcoms left, like traditional sitcoms. And like we're binging Brooklyn Nine-Nine right now for the first time. And we're in season two and it's really funny. And I'll miss a joke or two here and there, but... I still get the premise. It's not really about the premise. It's about the jokes and it's about the characters. So maybe that goes back to what we were talking about. The premise doesn't necessarily matter so much, I think. I think it's definitely about, can those people deliver jokes? Do they understand comedic timing? Do you have people who are all on the same show? Or do you have somebody trying to be a star and other people never quite getting their moment because somebody's trying to upstage them? And that happens a lot in any sort of medium, right? I think having a good sitcom relies on having a cast that works well together. Yeah, there have been times recently when my family has been like, okay, they've watched most of Friends. Are there other good sitcoms that I should start them on? Oh, when I tried, Trollied, which I think was what Superstore ripped off. So Trollied is a British sitcom. I see it went from 2011 to 2018. You definitely recognize some of the people in the cast because... British acting is small enough that like, oh, five of these people are in Game of Thrones. Right. So Superstore is probably one that I see is still doing well now that may qualify. I could only get through, I was tr- watching that with my daughter and I could only get through maybe four episodes before like, no, this is too stupid. We can't do this. Well, I think for American audiences, watching British shows, British sitcoms is probably a great idea. Because it's just different enough that we can still appreciate the humor, the traditional uh, sitcom humor. Because it doesn't quite sound the same to us, or we don't quite get the references. So it's it gives us something to work on in our brains. Because that's what you want to do when you're sitting down to watch a comedy. (laughs) No, I like being, you know, like just a little something. Did anyone try to watch any of the current stuff? Like I see that mom show with Anna Ferris and Allison Janney is like the number seven in ranker, but I, I never actually tried that. I've seen that a few times, yeah. Is it funny? I can't imagine. Oh, it is created by Chuck Lorre. There we go. I knew there was a reason I wasn't watching it. What do you say, Brian? It's really obvious that it is. And now, full disclosure, I watched both seasons of the Chuck Lorre comedy on Netflix called The Kaminsky Method? The Kandinsky Mm -hmm. Method? Help me out. Kaminsky. You're thinking of my poster. For those who haven't watched all these podcasts, there's often a Kandinsky poster behind Erica. <laughs> there's not right now. So it's a story about Michael Douglas plays uh, an actor who is really just an acting instructor now. And Alan Arkin plays his longtime agent. And it's about <laughs> getting old in Los Angeles. And it's a comedy. And it's, I think, the only Chuck Lorre I've seen without a laugh track, which makes it really, I think he tries harder to make it good because he doesn't have that net of the constant sweetening with laughter. And it also reveals his limitations as a comedy creator, because he just doesn't have the sharpness that I would like to see from someone creating comedy. I, I did watch both seasons of it, in part because Ellen Ark and Michael Douglas are so good that they, I think, carry material that's beneath them. But what were the other ones on the list, Mark? We did not enter into this thinking, like, let's do a survey of all the current Stuff that's out there, but Brooklyn Nine-Nine is number one. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is number two, which is an interesting one because it too is kind of a self-aware subversion of normal 
sitcom themes. And for something that the episodes seem like they're self-contained, there's so much internal referencing in that show. It's been on since 2005. Not constantly, and the seasons are not super long. You could like sit down and watch a season, probably 10 shows in a day or two, but it'd be very hard to introduce new viewers to it. I've kind of tried with my kids, like, but you'd have to start right near the beginning, which are not as good. Like, it's definitely a show that has gotten better over time, but it's so internally referential. I, I don't know. We had some sort of, you know, I get to pick whatever the thing is. And so I looked up what's the best episode of that. And it was the musical episode where they do the Nightman. They had no idea why this was supposed to be funny or it was not a hit. I would have thought that the gang going cross country on the airplane trying to break Wade Boggs's record of drinking beers on an airplane. Despite the fact that, yeah, you could watch that show out of order. The show definitely has a progression and its sensibility changes. There was a one season where this is just four friends who run a bar and Danny DeVito, who is the father of two of them. And Danny DeVito plays the character who is the father of two of them. And, (laughs) but you know, they like the first, the very first episode is the gang gets racist. Right. And so it's like, they take on like themes that comedy shouldn't take on in their first episode. And there was a season where, one of the characters just got really fat and it was one of the creators. And he said, you know, we interviewed about this and he said, I noticed on all these shows, like on the big bang theory, as the show got popular, all the characters got better looking. And I thought it was really important one season for me just to look way worse. And so that's why he consciously gained 50 pounds just to subvert that. I mean, that's commitment to put your body through that just to make a point about how, sitcoms do these things in a, in a very lazy way, right? Fonz became less threatening as the show got more popular. Like these things that just happen as shows, they appeal to a broader audience as they gain popularity. And I think that's a, a common path that shows go down and give it to It's Always Sunny. They have taken risks and they continue to. And I really, in addition to enjoying it, even when I'm not laughing at it, I really appreciate that show. Continuing on that list, Simpsons, Rick and Morty, The Goldbergs. I've never actually tried that. Maybe I watched five minutes of it. I think that's supposed to kind of take place in the kind of area we grew up, right? Brian or something. You know, the time period and geography and anyway. Yeah, I have been told when someone tells me I would like The Goldbergs, it's like, yeah. <laughs> then you think they're being anti-Semitic? Is that what you think? When they... Pass. Nobody's ever told me I like The Goldbergs. Is it set in the 80s? It is. If you want a good 80s sitcom, watch Red Oaks. Mm. Right. That's an Amazon Amazon show about a kid. I think he's on the East Coast. He's working at a... Yeah, around New York. I think he's in New Jersey. Uh, yeah, he's working as a tennis pro at a place called Red Oaks. So it's a country club. And all of his friends and the hijinks they get into because they're all like high school age kids who work there or they're maybe going to college and they work there over the summer. Paul Reiser is in it, for example, and Richard Kind. It's got a great cast. It's very funny and it does 80s nostalgia quite well. Can I spoil a humorous little thing in Red Oaks? Sure. So they go see aliens, but Paul Reiser is one of the characters in Red Oaks. Which is just crazy. And so as they leave the theater, one of them says, I knew that guy in the puffy vest was going to be a bad guy. I'm like, yeah, that's... <laughs> Thank you for at least acknowledging the madness of going to see a Paul Reiser movie in a TV show that has Paul <laughs> Reiser playing one of the characters. 
Yeah, I watch Rick and Morty. I mean, Mark, I got to say, I didn't think I was countercultural, but there's a number of those shows that I really, really like. So that's good. I mean, I didn't think I was a an outlier or anything. There's some I haven't seen, like the Goldbergs. And yeah, I, I really like Rick and Morty. And I really like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You know, I was listening to this podcast a, a few days ago, and it was talking about how we all think that we're more special than we actually are. Like we all think there's something super unique about us, but then it's just like an example of this, right? This list, there are some things I wouldn't have guessed would be on this list because I wouldn't think I would watch that many mainstream television shows. But then you realize, oh, yeah, it's still mainstream. Like it's still super, super popular. And, you know, because times are changing, not everybody is watching Chuck Lorre shows anymore. We have so much more to choose from and we have them available at our fingertips now in so many different streaming services. So hopefully the cream will rise to the top as we have more and more choices. And we have parallel streams, right? And not everyone's trying to reach every audience. And Rick and Morty is not wringing its hands about not reaching mom's between ages 41 and 50, because that's not their demo and it doesn't need to be. But there would be no season two of anything if you were the only one that liked your programs. If you only like shows that ran one season, then maybe you're special. But beyond (laughs) that, I like Firefly and I like Freaks and Geeks. I only like shows that didn't even finish their first season. Those are the only ones I like. You're making me impatient. Should I do some of this quiz here so I can stop? Let's do it. Let's do it. So I can stop reading the ranker list, which I'm one more comment about that. I'm just happy that young Sheldon is 10. It made the top 10, but I just, I assumed that would be, you know, one or two or three in popularity. But for the reason that you're saying, Brian, that what we perceive as the mainstream, the middle of the road, the watered down, maybe actually isn't the most popular thing anymore. Like it's out there, it's among them, but. The other thing about never having seen something is you're able to give it a little break because you really can't judge it. I've made a conscious choice not to watch the Goldbergs. So, you know, maybe it's good. I'll never know unless I watch it, but I I don't need to badmouth it either. Just don't know. I haven't seen it. All right. So what's this quiz I've heard so much about? Why I was going to just throw out some weird sitcom plots and you're going to tell me, you're each going to guess and tell me if you think this is a real sitcom plot or not. I have a question. Are these sitcoms that made it at least a season or part of a season, or are these possibly just pilots? I don't want to answer that question. I have another question. Are there an even number or odd number of them? It depends how many we want to get through. Let's do an even (laughs) number, and that way we'll each get to guess first. All right, so then the first one is for Erica. A rich widower marries a younger woman while his son marries that woman's mother. Is that a real show or not a real show? (laughs) I like that premise. I would say not real, though. I guarantee you uh, that's real. <laughs> that is not real. I made that up. I've that was seen my it. pitch. <laughs> really? In a, in a dream. <laughs> so what's the title, Mark? If you're going to make it up. <laughs> um, I think it's called Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my own grandpa. All right. <laughs> The second one, this is for Brian first. In 1900, a prospector gets buried in an Alaskan avalanche, is thawed out 67 years later, and moves in with his now elderly son and grandson. 67 is so specific. That really sounds like someone must have thought that was a good idea. I'm going to say that was real. I agree. Real. That was real. It was called The Second Hundred Years. I had never heard of it, but it was from the late 60s. Wow. Who was in it? You're going to make me look it up. Yeah. Monty Markham, Frank Maxwell, Arthur O'Connell. Nobody that I know who that is. Okay. 67 to 68. It was only one season. All right. Erica's a master at this game. 
She's been studying IMDb. I know it. All right, Erica, a He-Man like cartoon character enters the real world to live with his human ex-wife and get to know his half cartoon son. <laughs> real? Real. I've heard of it. Yeah, okay. I thought you might have actually seen it, yeah. Brian. That's why I asked Erica this one first. It was called Son of Zorn. It yeah. only lasted a season. I remember Tim Meadows was in it. There were other other people. Oh, yeah. You can do wacky stuff with a cartoon. And again, things that are that recent, it's because they're realizing that sitcoms are absurd and using pretty <laughs> right. much the same process I came up with these some of these ideas to come up with their things. All right, another for Brian. Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun in a domestic family comedy. I'm going to say that's fake. I agree, fake. It is real. It's called Heil Honey, I'm Home. It was a British show from 1990. However, it only lasted, they made eight episodes, but only one aired. That it was wow. deemed too offensive. No shit. You can look at the, they have some Jewish neighbors that he doesn't really like them. <laughs> That was a real thing. All right. Wow. Well found. (laughs) Well done, Mark. So next is Erica again. A set of identical twins marries another set of identical twins, and they all live together. Real. I'll say fake. So that is fake, but after I thought of it, I looked it up, and Twins Marrying Twins was featured on the TLC special Twin Sane Wedding. Not a sitcom, though. That's all right. I'll take the L, the L on that. That's twin sanity. <laughs> Brian, three humanoid rabbits live together with a fearful mystery. Can my desire for something to be real, can I, <laughs> can I will it into being? You may. You know what? A year from now, if it's not real yet, it's going to be real. I want to see those rabbits. It's Watership Down the Comedy. I'll say real. I'm going to say real, too, because I bet there probably was a British Watership Down comedy. So this is another kind of borderline case. This is a thing by David Lynch called Rabbits. He calls it a sitcom, but it is really a series of less than 10 short films. And they're as weird as you think. I only saw some little clips online, but... By the way, we have to do a David Lynch episode. I don't know why it hasn't come up before. Yes. But I definitely want to do one. Sounds good. And maybe we'll make this the last one. Who is next? Is it Brian again? It's me. So we're odd again. Okay, then we'll do two more. A young William Shakespeare navigates Elizabethan society, often acting out parodic situations he'd later adapt into his famous plays. Real. Real. Okay, so have you actually seen this? No. It is real. It's called Upstart Crow. It is a current British sitcom. It's the... Oh, neat. I want to watch that. It's the guy that did Peep Show. Oh, yeah. He's great. So it's both the creator and the star. A Shakespeare program had been recommended to me, and I thought that might be it, but I really didn't know the title or whatever. I probably recommended it to you. I do recommend it. You did, Mark. (laughs) You just got sabotaged, Erica. I have the quiz master on my side. All right, the last one. Brian, a family comedy about a lion tamer whose lion gets transformed into a person and is adopted as his son. I want to will that out of existence. (laughs) So we're flipping around the rabbits. I say it's not real because I hate it. Not real. Of course, that is not real. <laughs> that is one of my brilliant late night ideas. <laughs> I think we tied, Mark. I have yeah. not been keeping score. I have. Yeah, I have too. I wasn't going to, but he really seemed like he wanted rules, which made me know that he wanted to have a competition with me. And just FYI, Brian... We're even, Stevens. Going into the next quiz, whenever that might be. In the words of <laughs> Kenneth Ellen Parcell, 
and 30 Rock. And I have an idea for a show about an art teacher. I called it one art school and one about a Jewish guy who opens an ice cream parlor. That one's called Ice Cream Cohen and a drama about two cops, one named Cash and one named Carrie. I don't have a title for that one. (laughs) So I couldn't help but think of those, Mark, as you were coming up with these. Those were were nicely done on the fake ones. I think they were just specific enough to be believable as terrible programming or possibly brilliant programming. Who knows? So I went into Wikipedia a few ideas for this in case we were all supposed to come up with it originally. So I found some that sounded just awful and one that sounded actually really fun. There's one that was called Mail Order Family. These are ones that that had pilots, but they didn't really get picked up. This was intended for 2017. NBC ordered it, and it's about an American single father who marries a mail order bride from the Philippines. Now, the executive producer based it on her own experiences growing up with a Filipina stepmother. But it says less than three days after announcing the project, NBC decided not to move forward with a pilot after protests from the Asian American community and advocates for trafficked women and mail order brides. Yeah happened. So I was like, wow, eek, not great. And then there's one that was intended to come out called, it's a cartoon comedy called Murder Police. Manuel Sanchez aspires to be a a good cop, but his efforts to solve crimes are constantly put in jeopardy by his own clumsiness and the incompetence of his fellow detectives, including his partner, Tommy Margaretti, a tough rule-breaking bad cop who can't interrogate a suspect without beating him up. And this was intended for 2013. Man. Now, on the positive side of things, there's one from 1974 that didn't quite make it that I think would be really fun to redo now called The Love Nest. It was supposed to be on CBS, and it was about widowed senior citizens living together in a Florida trailer park. That is one I want to see. Nice. I guess Grace and Frankie kind of does that now, but like, let's let's put them in a, a trailer park and see what happens. I, I tried not to do any research because I didn't want to inform myself for the quiz. But just thinking back to my original thought that the premise wasn't actually that important. It's all about execution. I did remember there was a show, and I looked it up, about survivors of a nuclear holocaust. And it was called Whoops. And it was on Fox in 1992. Holy crap. I don't think it was well received and it was thought to be pretty tasteless. And yet I've got to say that it's not that different from The Last Man on Earth, yeah. which I find really funny. And I didn't chase down whoops to find out. I remember it being on. I wasn't paying that close attention to TV right at that time. But Will Forte and Kristen Shaw lead just a really talented cast, well written and f- Just a lot of great things happen on that program. So could they have made Whoops work? Yeah, probably. Well, Brian, I just today, I watched the pilot of Whoops. (laughs) That is the (laughs) one thing. That is the single thing that I watched in full. A whole 22 minute. Mark, how was it? (laughs) It was pretty terrible. It was as you would expect. There's six people have survived and one of them was really rich. And one of them is uh, Evan Handler with hair, but it looks like fake hair. One is like the one black guy and there's like a uh, cliche woman who owned a woman's bookstore after her divorce. So there's just a lot of humor that you would expect from 1990. The jokes were not uniformly terrible. I should say that it was probably fine, you know, as Fox sitcoms from that era went. And Last Man on Earth. Have you watched? I enjoyed that. I binged it up to a certain point and then I forgot where I was and Hulu doesn't remember where I was. So I have not gone back to it to finish it. 
but I like multiple seasons I watch for sure. Yeah, I've only seen a few episodes and I enjoyed them. Okay, good. There is a flashback episode where we see the pandemic play out, which of all the things to maybe watch or not watch during these times, it's done for laughs and it's done from someone in a bunker. It's the episode with um, Kristen Wiig and it's (laughs) it's very funny. It would have been for the people who talk about needing a new plague before all this happened. I think that's what they had in mind and not this shitty thing we have. Well, I think that's a good final thought, unless you had something else, Erica. No, no, I'm I'm good. So long, listeners. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. See you soon. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.